everyone, and welcome to Retail Recorded by Colliers. I'm your host, Angie Solanke, National Director for Retail Services in the U.S. And thank you, as always, for joining us as we continue our podcast series and hearing from some amazing experts in our industry. Well, today's topic fascinates me and why. We really are starting to see a change in retail as it relates to taking retail assets or just projects in general across North America and transforming them into mixed-use communities, a need that we saw pre-pandemic and definitely one that we're continuing to see post. As we look at how retail evolves into a mixed-use environment is our topic for today. So our guests include, and I'm really excited to have our North American presence of our strategic planning placemaking consulting group. So today we have Russell Whitehead, Senior VP for Planning and Placemaking, and our strategy and consulting group, Chris Kuno, Senior Consultant Urban Planning, as well as Placemaking, and Todd Scheffler, Vice President for the U.S. on the national team for retail repositioning. So gentlemen, glad to have you all. Thanks, Angie. Glad to be here. Wonderful. Well, Russell, let's kick things off with you. I wanted to first start and ask the question, what placemaking actually means? You know, it's used quite a bit in retail, of course, and in our industry. But what does it really mean when it comes to placemaking in shopping centers? So these, good question. So historically, after World War II, large shopping centers began replicating the character, energy, and functions of traditional main streets as a, resu- as a result of the automobile-focused suburban exodus. So while popular in the past, this format of a standalone enclosed environment with a sea of parking isn't necessarily what we want in our cities moving forward, particularly as surrounding areas densify, consumer preferences shift, and the role of the shopping center evolves. So these pressures have resulted in the need for the reimagination of these centers into dynamic mixed-use places that serve multiple purposes and offer a variety of experiences in comparison to a purely shopping-oriented environment. It's becoming increasingly important to put on the placemaking lens when it comes to shopping center redevelopment or the development of new mixed-use communities. But what does placemaking mean in this context, to answer your question? Well, simply put, successful placemaking efforts result in the transformation of shopping centers into true community hubs or town centers that are active at all hours of the day and year, rather than just during traditional shopping hours. So in a way, the goal is to mimic the attractiveness and vibrancy of main streets and downtown retail districts, which can include a variety of efforts, um, such as bringing in additional population groups through the development of residential hotel, office, and other on-site uses, refining the layout, scale, tenant mix, and design of the retail and public-facing components to ultimately create desirable places to spend time, while also enhancing pedestrian connectivity to surrounding neighborhoods. And it's very important to create multiple reasons to visit. So this can be done through the inclusion of experience-oriented offerings, unique retail tenancies catering towards shifting demographics, public event programming, and so on. This really is an integrated approach, and it's all about creating a uh, third place outside of the home and office where people can spend time, linger, socialize, and of course, spend their hard-earned money. You like the spend part, right, Russell? That was great. I mean, you gave us a really thorough overview of, you know, what placemaking means. But to your point, it's so critical to interject or integrate, I should say, the um 
you know, creating an environment that's just a, a special place and one that can be enjoyed by all members of, of uh, a person's family or individuals uh, at different times of the day. So I appreciate that. And so when we, when we take a pause for a moment, you know, we talk about placemaking. There's also repositioning, which is really a different definition, I would say. And when we talk about repositioning, sometimes people look at that and think, well, is it the entire shopping center that needs to be repositioned? Or is it just a portion? Is it, you know, parking lots? Like, what does all of that mean? So, Todd, I'm going to hand this to you because that is Hmm. your craft and your area of expertise. Share your perspective of what does repositioning in a shopping center actually mean? Sure. Um, happy to weigh in. I, I, I guess one of the things I wanted to uh, weigh in on is that when Russell mentioned, uh, I talked about, I, I think that we can look at our retail repositioning as place changing. Um, it, it's kind of a, the, the broad view of being a shopping center, for instance, and turning it into something else um, is a very involved process. But um, I, I think what I'll try to do is, is is define it as succinctly as possible. Um, it, it means really de- deconstructing what uh, is or was a purely retail enterprise uh, into a non-retail or a mixed-use business. Um, it, it involves usually a step-by-step process to understand current market, market forces, um, acting upon the center, and applying and quantitative tests to determine the new use. What created these shopping centers, these retail environments in the first place, those modes of uh, market evaluation and what created the sales justifying the investment in the past no longer apply. Um, what applies now is a lot more of the, uh, the stakeholders that are involved in these redevelopments and these things. Uh, it many times includes, in large part, the community because the community very much uh, comes to own the asset that was once a strong retail center. Now, it's not a strong retail center. It's going to be something else. But the real investor net is the community, those folks that live in the community that have to live with that with that property. So uh, broad participation from all property stakeholders, the community, and future occupants is necessary to uh, repossession shopping. So I think that's probably, um, in a nutshell, uh, what I would define as repositioning. It's much more complicated than that. There's a lot of, uh, a lot of luck goes into this, a lot of uh, expert people involved, uh, resources. And um, one of the most important things is that everybody has to be willing and able to want to do this. You can't have a party. For instance, uh, you, an owner of a shopping center uh, may still want about having the most uh, profitable property where profitability may not be the reason or may not be uh, even uh, possible uh, with re- repositioning. It may be other factors, but qualitative factors that may have to come into play. So um, anyway, that's kind of the nutshell of what uh, we do with repositioning. Yeah, you're right, Todd. I mean, I think people in the past would think of repositioning retail assets that are obsolete. Well, that's not the case. You know, we're we're working on several um, very successful shopping centers that have the ability to add more um, other types of asset classes, such as multifamily, creative office, hospitality, life science, et cetera. So it's really to your point, creating, um, taking an asset 
looking at the strategic value for our investor clients and deploying those tools and resources to help analyze uh, the asset from a feasibility perspective to see what kind of capital they have to put in now, what kind of risk to evaluate, but what's that high reward after development exactly. um, or redevelopment. So, yeah. yeah if, if I also may want just to, to kind of add to what I just mentioned, a little bit of background too. Um, it just so, you know, the, what, when Russell was talking about placemaking, repositioning, it's all a result of just the nature of retail business in our country. We're overbuilt, really, retail is overbuilt by about 10 square feet per person in this country, whereas in other countries in Europe and Canada, uh, the, the, the per, per square foot allocation of retail per person is much lower. So in the United States, the challenge uh, is an overbuilding of retail, non-productive retail space, and that amounts to about 2 billion square feet of non-productive or underproductive retail space. So in about five to seven years, we can expect uh, about 25 to 30% of shopping centers will close or convert. And that's a lot of square footage that we have to look out for in the future and be aware of, be ready to uh, handle those challenges. Yeah, I, those are some great stats, uh, Todd. I mean, I'm I'm blown away with the numbers. And to your point, you know, yes, we are over retailed, which isn't a bad thing um, because it allows us to move into these these kind of new environments. And so with that, Chris, I'm going to hand this to you, you know, just to kind of play off of what we've heard from Russell and Todd. Why should landlords and retailers consider being in a newly redeveloped project? And and it's and, and is it important to have other non-retail uses be a part of that mix? Thanks, Angie. So I think right off the bat, we should say it is a very important part of the mix. Uh, so from a retailer perspective, there are several benefits to being in a newly redeveloped project, uh, including on-site consumer segments, uh, higher footfall potential, optimized shopping environments that facilitate uh, better spending uh, capital potential, um, more potential for regional consumer awareness, and the likelihood that the surrounding trade area population may grow at a faster rate than uh, traditional shopping centers, as residents tend to prefer to live uh, adjacent to dense redeveloped centers in comparison to traditional uh, dated shopping centers. Uh, from a landlord perspective, a redevelopment, a redeveloped mixed-use project is often seen as more economically resilient than a single-use counterpart. Um, this is in line with evolving market trends. Uh, so commercial uses are increasingly seen as amenities by residents, and landlords have to recognize that. A high-quality commercial mix helps to create a, a true mixed-use community that enhances the di uh, desirability of living within, above, or adjacent to a project. I don't know about folks listening in, but I personally have no desire to live uh, above another bank or another optometrist. While they're necessary, those kind of tenants just kill the vibrancy of a space. Uh, by making a project more desirable for a developer, there are higher potential uh, residential values and, and, in theory, greater demand. On top of all that, there's higher potential to draw in high quality and unique tenants. Uh, it's a bit of a feedback loop. So interesting tenants can attract quality residents which in turn attract interesting tenants into the project or uh, into the surrounding neighborhood around it. So you, you mentioned something which I find really interesting. I, I agree with you. I mean, having an eclectic mix of uses and concepts that that drive, you know, kind of our day to day, it's really about all, all of this is really about lifestyle and the importance around lifestyle um, for that individual. And so I think what you just really described here is, is the um, ability to craft something for that community um, that's 
near and dear to them. So it's really taking this and 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 making a main street out of a, a project uh, for the consumer or the shopper to enjoy. So Todd, you know, when we stop and think about projects that are not being repositioned or redeveloped, or investors or landlords are concerned because they don't want to take on that risk, um, et cetera, what then happens, you know, to that community, the surrounding area, um, and the challenges they could potentially face? I mean, can a community become yeah. obsolete? <laughs> Well, as I, as I mentioned in um, some of my previous comment, uh, comments, uh, with more urban shopping centers, more than likely is as the retail tends to evaporate, uh, other mixed uses can or may not be able to replace the retail strength that was there previously. But the the the, the, the real the, the person, if you will, that suffers the most is the community. Um, they really own. What is left when a shopping center is first constructed it's in the best interest of the investors and the developers and because there's a profit motive uh it's a capital proposition an investment proposition but at the end of that life um they no longer have any interest and they either give it back to the bank or whatever it goes but really who ends up with it is the community so this is why a lot of cities and towns are reevaluating their zoning laws to really unrestrict things as parking and, and FAR and density and those things that really in the past have kept um, retail centers retail. High parking demand, for instance, a five per thousand ratio is now being reduced in many cases down to four or even three and a half in some cases, depending on the mixed use. So that allows the community to, you know, just take a breath, a deep breath and breathe new life into these locations the entrepreneurial creativity to come into play as well. Um, you're no longer having any major, there's not big money is no longer coming into these locations. It's what's happening now is you're having an entrepreneurial uh, investment, uh, digitally native retailing off, off online and coming becoming offline retailers and experimenting with uh, boutique-like venues. Um, so all that really is a big plus in our world. Uh, you're going to start to see as these big boxes and department stores shrink or evaporate, disappear, because there's no longer any any uh, retail business to fill them, you're going to see those either being torn, reduced into very smaller, much smaller boutique uh, venues that really more reflect the community desires and demands of authenticity that is inherent in the community, and uh, which I think is a good thing. I think I'm looking forward to that as being a new trend in our business. I, I come from a department store world. I worked at Macy's for many years. And, uh, I built and I also deconstructed Macy's business over the years. So I, I kind of saw that and uh, it's, it's too bad that uh, the building of the business was very exciting, but also it's uh, all things must pass and you have to make way for uh, creative approaches and the decline of that business going forward. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you, Todd, that there has to be a an evaluation, a study, that's backed, which you both, which you all three of you back, um, back up your analysis by the use of data and also forecasting. So if you know the 
investor or the client isn't ready to you know pull the trigger in the next six to 12 months, they have the ability to really look at that timetable and utilize the phased approach that you all offer in terms of what are the next steps in implementing a solution for that particular asset um, to generate that newfound value. So I really appreciate the time. I mean, my goodness, we could go on and on and on. There's probably another, I think, 45 minutes worth of context and conversation here. But um, and what I, I want to leave our listeners to is that this is a very you know complicated um, analysis that starts with what is that strategic approach and looking at the various phases from zoning to entitlements to incentives, the various use types, the market analysis, the property analysis, and then you know a site planning and financial modeling to understand the value creation. And I ask our listeners if there is interest in learning more to please reach out to us. Um, it's amazing to see that Colliers actually has this uh, very large group of consultants and strategists uh, throughout North America. I think we're close to maybe about um, 20 uh, folks that specialize in this space. Uh, so please let us know how we can help and support. But before I leave our audience, um, I always ask our fun question. And so to all and each of you, um, I'm gonna ask our final question, which is if we could be any retailer, and maybe in your case, it's not a retailer, maybe it's a project, um, what retailer or project would you select and why? So Russell, I'm gonna hand it to you first. Thanks, Angie. Um, so I'm a big fan of hybrid retail, fitness, um, eating, drinking, and ultimately creating places where people wanna gather and spend time. So if I think along those lines, I'd love to operate something similar to a retailer named Turf that's located in Vancouver. And I'm sure there's similar examples throughout North America. This is a boutique fitness studio combined with a restaurant and a cafe, and in the evenings, a place where you can buy beer and wine. So it provides the opportunity to have a great workout, and then a meal afterwards, or maybe just pop on your Lululemon pants and pretend you've worked out while having brunch. On top of that, it also has a small retail offering selling apparel, self-care, and home products, both in-store online. Um, so this overall product has been extremely popular in Vancouver, and it's something that, that definitely interests me. Oh, that's a good one. I like that. We can work out and then eat <laughs> or drink. <laughs> Have a nice glass of wine right after our hard workout. That's excellent. Thank you. Chris, what about you? So I've actually been thinking about this one for quite a while now because it's a bit of a pipe dream uh, of mine to open up a similar concept in Vancouver. Uh, so most of the people who know me uh, know I'm quite a, a biker and an avid adventurer. So a retailer with a concept I really resonate with personally is called Deus and it's founded in uh, Sydney, Australia, and they, I think they have retail stores in about 12 countries in 20 cities. Uh, so in general, their brand focuses on lifestyle, clothing, and, and motorcycles. Uh, so something I really resonate with is how they focus on integrating a certain way of living with the products they sell, and the layout of their physical retail stores combine uh, custom motorcycle shops uh, with a cafe, performance and event space, a workshop, and then a retail store to sell their product. So that is kind of all, it's just really checking all the boxes of something I want to, to spend time inside of. Oh, that one sounds wonderful. And, and you are a wonderlust. And so knowing one, um, that's a great concept. I, I'm going to have to make sure that our our friends at Harley Davidson um, see this as a, a potential, um, you know, integration with concepts. 
So Todd, I'm going to hand this to you next. Yeah, I um, <clears throat> I don't know if I have so much a specific retailer in mind as I do what I think a, uh, a retailer should be going forward in these to, to, like, to respond to the challenges we talked about. Um, the problem I see in a lot of these shopping centers is you have a very large retail space uh, that will never be filled up with retail space again. So I, I like the idea of a <clears throat> micro developer coming in representing digitally native tenants to incubate them into larger space, say 20, 30,000 square feet within a shopping center um, that reflect more, I think, that it reflect the the online engagement that the community has uh, within a geographic location physically on the site. Um, I know this is this has occurred in several locations around the country. It's, in, it's been more or less, less an experiment, but I really do. Um, I try to think of ways that we can uh, is a point, reconstruct deconstruct uh, what is out there today is way too much building space for the retail demand going forward. And I would really like to see us take 30, 40,000 square feet of these space, uh, some of these spaces and put a mini mall within these and then incubate digitally native boutique type retailers that more reflect the community demand uh, within which this uh, shopping center would, that's my ideal, that's my dream. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Well, hopefully you're not going to take a job at Showfields because that's <laughs> kind of what they, they are yeah. doing on a kind of a, a little, slightly larger scale. But um, yeah, no, no, it makes complete sense if we could just, you know, curate that and customize it for uh, projects. Um, so it's not, it's not, re it's repeatable, but repeatable to your point with uh, concepts and retailers that are, are more relevant for that community. Well, I have to say thank you to all of our guest speakers. I mean, as I mentioned, retail repositioning is quite complicated, so many layers, and it's so important to engage with the experts that have the knowledge, the background, which both, you know, I would say Russell, Chris, and Todd have that global expertise and have seen lessons learned, lessons, um, you know, what not to do again. Um, so I really thank each and every one of them for their time and expertise in this space. As I mentioned, to learn more, please reach out to us and ask any additional questions or even open up the discussion to see how we can help and evaluate, evaluate your project when it's ready for repositioning. So with that, Thank you again for sharing um, your observations and knowledge to Russell, Chris, and Todd. And I appreciate your perspective. That really highlights the accelerated change we always want to see. And as always, thank you to all of our listeners um, being focused with Colliers as a result of this podcast series. We continue to move this core topics forward, and we hope you join us next month for our next Retail Recorded at Collier's. Mm -hmm.